Welcome to Saga Thing, where we're putting the sagas of the Icelanders on trial. I'm John. And I'm Andy. And this is our second episode on the saga of Gunnar Thorbjörnsson, the fool of Keldgunur. So, this was a saga we thought we'd get through in one episode. Well, I mean, it would have been a long episode. We could have, but we no, shouldn't No, I know. Have. I know it would. But you realize that by stopping where we did, we only have a few thousand words in the Anderson translation to cover this time. Uh, that, that's, More or less done. Yeah, that's fine with me. Uh, it's a busy time of year with new classes and new schedules. An uh, early night for us would be a, a nice change of pace, I think. Yeah, says the guy on Central Time. <laughs> <laughs> no one ever told you to live so close to where the sun comes up, John. Come on. But, <laughs> all right. Um, hey, what are you drinking today? Well, uh, tonight, John, I am foregoing beer, and I'm oh having my. some some uh, Macallan's Twelve Single Malts. How nice for you! Mm, That's lovely. Fancy. Uh, what are you What are you drinking? Um, I've got a, a lovely golden ale. Uh, I should have had some scotch. We had Burns Night here earlier this week, and I've got oh, yeah. some leftover scotch from that. Oh, good. But, but what are you actually drinking? So, it's a golden ale. Golden ale. Okay. Flensburger's golden ale, if it, gotcha. if it helps. Uh, sorry. All right. So, uh, we started Gunnar's Saga last episode, and there was a whole lot going on right at the outset, um, which means that things got a little front-loaded. I think everyone would benefit from a bit of a refresher. Yes. So, uh, yeah. There are two brothers named Gunnar and Helgi. They get up the hijinks. The end. Nope. Not a chance. <laughs> Last time on Saga Thing. Our story begins with the introduction of Helgi and Gunnar Thorbjarnason. Helgi's a well-dressed and popular young man about town, but brother Gunnar frustrates his parents no end with his layabout behavior. At a local series of games, Helgi becomes annoyed with a local gang of ne'er-do-wells led by Jokul and Grim Thorgrimson, the sons of the local chieftain. Helgi brings Gunnar with him to the games, and the two of them show up the young punks, in a pair of no-holds-barred wrestling bouts. Forced on the run by the gang of toughs, Gunnar and Helgi eventually return home, only for Gunnar to be ambushed by 15 men. Our man Gunnar is up to the challenge, however, killing 13 of the dirty dealers on the spot, and the last two, the Thorgrimsons, a few months later. Your announcer voice is getting more and more British. <laughs> Helgi and Gunnar take their show on the road, but not before Gunnar reveals a shocking twist. He's in an ongoing secret tryst with the Thorgrimson's lovely sister Helga. They pledge their love in a touching scene before Gunnar and his brother beat feet to Norway with a new friend, the skipper Bard the Norwegian. But bad seas and worse prospects force Bard's ship ashore for the winter, where the crew soon learns that trolls stalk their every move in the wilderness. Gunnar finally sees a pair of troll women one day while returning from slaughtering a remarkably intelligent bear. For Gunnar, it's the work of a moment to kill one of the monstrous ladies and to befriend the other. But as he returns to his friends with bear meat and a tail of trolls, the winter takes hold, and the friends must face the dangers of nature as well as of the unnatural. Can Gunnar and Helgi survive and make their way home again? We'll find out this time on... Gunnar's Saga, Keldegnupasvifl, Chapter 6-11. to 11. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot happened. But yep. the main arc of the saga was the development of Gunnar from the lazy, coal-biting sidekick of his older brother to a capable warrior and killing machine. They grow up so fast. Don't they, though? Well, I mean, that's an interesting thing to say. 
as we'll mm. see this time, there is some confusion in the text about how old Gunnar is exactly. Oh. <laughs> and yes. whether he's really a violent tween or an equally violent grown man. Yeah, and, and that matters because one of the ways we can read this thing is as a Cinderella story. Yes, a Cinderella story with bloodshed and trolls and splitting sure. men in Best half. Guide. Yeah, uh, but you'd say that because of the uh, the coalbiter beginning? Yep. Yeah, I agree. That's a, a pretty standard thing. I, I think it would fit nicely into the Stith Thompson's motif index. Um, but, you know, it isn't necessarily edifying for any one specific story when you find that out. Right. Now, sometimes I'd agree with that. Story form doesn't delineate story function at all. Right. I'm, yeah. I'm on board. But in this case, there are a few real points of correlation to the folktale that I think we shouldn't ignore. Uh, Pagano, who we talked about last time, uh, he talks about this in his introduction to an Italian edition of the saga that he put out a couple of years ago. He makes rhetorically interesting moves in the intro. Uh, he characterizes both the saga and Gunnar himself as sort of twin Cinderella stories. Hmm. Uh, he says, and this is obviously my translation, that this is especially evident as the protagonist is introduced to us as a boy without a place or artful skill who wastes his time by the hearth. When he rises from the hearth, raising a cloud of ash, he begins to give a good account of himself, as if shaking off the ashes metaphorically shows the young man's future worth. Hmm. Similarly, he says, the saga is treated as an unwelcome and unimpressive addition to the saga corpus, but also has potential that requires a closer look. Uh, John, that's rhetorically neat, but we're getting into the deep grass here, and maybe, mm-hmm. maybe he's talking about a different scene, but I don't remember uh, him shaking right. the ash off himself. Uh, but mm-hmm. again, maybe a different manuscript. Metaphorically, Andy. Metaphorically. Sure. Uh, no, it's metaphorically showing the young man's future worth, I believe. Yeah, I, I know. I know. Mm-hmm. Anyway, but why don't you uh, go ahead and explain the Cinderella link in 30 seconds or less? Uh, okay. Uh, don't rush me. Gunnar begins as a widely despised figure. Uh, he's associated with indoor soot and unimpressive conduct. Uh, he arrives at the game still in disguise, so to speak. You know, he's, he's sort of still in his sooty clothes. Mm-hmm. Uh, he refused to change out of those clothes to visit to accompany his brother. He proves himself as a warrior and a man, and then he fled from Iceland. Uh, now, most of that would be true of any Colbider story. What would really cap it off from a Cinderella perspective would be for Gunnar to end up as royalty, or in Iceland's case, aristocracy, by the end of the saga. Ah, so, so now you're just setting up our discussion of the rest of the saga. I see. I Maybe I am. Maybe I am. Great. Okay. I was going to talk about the structural problems of the saga, but now you've gone and used up all the air in here. What are we supposed to do now? In here? In, in where? America? We're a thousand miles apart. Eh? In the podcast. The podcast air, John. It's very valuable. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, There's sure. only so it's much. very stuffy. Uh, right, fine. Keep your structural problems to yourself. Actually, it's it'll, it'll come up in the saga. We're going to see how <laughs> things do or don't line up from one chapter to another in this one. It's it's kind of hard to miss, actually. Yeah, right, I'm not going to miss a segue like that. Hop on. After you. Part five, Troll Call. So Gunnar, Helgi, and Bard and his crew are spending the winter in a beachside hut waiting for warmer weather so they can sail to their destination in, in southern Norway. Mm-hmm. But as we said, there's a lingering threat hanging over them. Right? Uh, Gunnar had that run-in with Fala and Gala, the troll sisters. Uh, he killed Gala, but Fala, who pledged to be loyal to Gunnar, mentioned a family of trolls nearby. And those trolls know where the sailors are camped. Yes. Uh, he also killed a bear that understood Old Norse. 
Yep. But uh, there doesn't seem to be a crew of bears out in the wilds planning revenge, at least as far as we know. <laughs> right. Not that we're ever told anyway. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not a crew of bears, though. Right. It's a. Uh, no. Hang on. It's a uh, sleuth. Sleuth of bears. Is that sleuth? right? Yeah. I think that's right. Uh, that sounds but crazy. But it's also irrelevant. Right. Because the point is there aren't any bears, sleuth or individual seeking blood vengeance. There's just trolls. No. No sleuth bears. No overt bears. Just Correct. a lot of trolls. Right. That was the collective noun for that. Well, they're essentially humanoid. So a crowd, a gang, like people? Mm, I'm going to go with a band. A band band of trolls. Oh, yes. I like that. Uh, The point is many trolls. Yes. And Gunnar knows that. So one day he heads out onto the glaciers with his weapons, wandering around the fjord until he spots a fire burning in the distance. He follows it to a cave entrance where a collective noun of trolls are sitting and talking. There are five of them all together, two adults, one male, one female, and three adolescents, uh, a boy and two girls. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of them finishes talking as Gunnar creeps toward them. Gunnar had better come here. What help would that be to us? Don't you know how he dealt with the sisters father and Gala? I would prefer that he never come here, for I believe he'll bring me the greatest misfortune. <laughs> so Gunnar's fame has preceded him apparently they know yes which is a little surprising given that Gunnar hasn't done anything of particular note yet except survive <laughs> an assassination attempt in Iceland the previous spring I mean how has he got well, a reputation I mean he did kill that bear uh, yeah besides right this is another pattern piece right? another borrowing from traditions in the genre yeah, sure. So uh, yeah, we had brought up the parallels to uh, Jokel Buesenstauter in the last episode, mm-hmm. and this part of Gunnar's saga is still running on the same rails. Trolls yeah. have their own gossip network, and it works over time when it comes to reporting on protagonists. You know, I told you, jaded cynicism is my thing. Stop infringing on my copyright. You cannot copyright a critical position, John. Oh, <laughs> I see. Uh, all right, well, Gunnar finds himself a shadow to wade in, and it isn't much longer before the adults head off to bed in the cave. The three younger trolls continue chatting by the fire, and Gunnar continues to wait until the fire has burned down enough to give him some cover in the dark. After all, you know, it's, a, it's always a sign of heroic and above-board behavior when you have to skulk in the shadows while spying on a family. See? You can still do jaded cynicism when you want to. <laughs> Gosh, thanks. Um... It's a little heavy-handed, but very on-brand. I like it, John. Uh Thanks. So once it's dark enough, uh, Gunnar leaps from the darkness and beheads one of the trolls with a single blow. Mm -hmm. The other two leap up and scatter in opposite directions. They they both attack Gunnar at once, but he kills both of them in a flurry of blows. He then drops down next to the embers of the fire to catch his breath. Well, sneak attacking three trolls takes it out of a guy. You got to catch your breath at some point. I mean, I think he would call it ambushing, but yeah, fair point. Yes. Uh, besides, he, he only rests for a couple of minutes uh, because he's still got the two big trolls, the mommy and daddy trolls in the cave. Mm-hmm. See, when you call them mommy and daddy, it makes it sound so much worse. It's really emphasized he just killed a bunch of kids. <laughs> he really did just kill a bunch of kid, kid <laughs> trolls. It's a, it's a little bit problematic. Uh, anyway, uh, once he's got his breath back, uh, Gunnar creeps into the cave. He finds the two trolls sleeping in a bed. Uh, and he makes his way to the side of the bed under cover of the troll's snoring. 
Mm. Once there, he silently raises his weapon and thrusts his sword into the chest of the male troll. Mm. The troll shoots up out of bed in a convulsive leap, but then crashes to the floor dead. I remember this scene from Gisli's saga. Yeah, I remember the scene from a few sagas. It's And the fact that we do remember it from a scene where a man is killing another human male, it really emphasizes how human these trolls are. Right? Not yeah. only is it a family unit, the trolls sleep in a bed. They have an indoor area where they go away from the fire to sleep. I mean, it's it really... You're getting a sense of domesticity that is being invaded and massacred by this movie. Right, yeah. Well, in the few seconds that uh, have passed, the female troll snatches a sword up and rushes at Gunnar, nearly right. killing him with her first stroke. Okay. Gunnar is able to fend her off, but she's attacking so furiously that he can't get out of the defensive position. And within a few minutes' time, he's taken several wounds and hasn't been able to strike a single blow against this woman. Right. Now, this is another textual echo, right? This is, yeah. uh, it's still Yokelstauter, but it's also Beowulf, right? And a lot of other stories, uh, right? The troll woman who proves to be too much of a match for the hero. Yeah. This is so commonplace, we don't really need to go into it. I mean, anybody who's read Beowulf or been assigned Beowulf is familiar with this one. But unlike Beowulf, Gunnar has an ace in the hole. As he's being forced back under the blows raining down from the troll woman, he calls out, uh, Who is more needed now than my girlfriend, Fala? Girlfriend, you say? Yeah. That is yeah. An, an interesting translation, girlfriend. Yeah. Uh, so it's obviously from the Sarah Anderson translation. Again, as we said, that's the only one we have available. Uh, I had a look at the original. The word, the word is actually uh, vinkunu. That's right. Yeah, uh, yeah. right. So vinkuna is, uh, does literally translate as female friend or mm-hmm. lady friend. But it's not clear to me whether there's the same implication of possible romantic attachment that girlfriend usually has in English. Yeah. Yeah, I obviously I couldn't resist looking this one up either. It is female friend in both Zoega mm-hmm. and the Cleesby Vigfison dictionary, which again isn't super helpful, but it's definitely yeah. more neutral in English than girlfriend, I think. Yeah. Yeah, when I couldn't get anything from Cleesby Vigfison, I got a wild hair and tried Google Translate. Uh it gave <laughs> me wine as the main translation, Andy. Really? Uh so <laughs> it's about it's about how useful that is. So don't so trust it's that obviously one. way off. Although it might explain why people were looking for Leif Erikson's settlement in the wrong place. Uh, maybe, <laughs> maybe they were using Google Translate to try to figure out where he was. Uh-huh. Uh, but uh, Google Translate did also give girlfriend as an alternate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if anyone in Iceland wants to tell us what the connotations of Vinkona are in modern Icelandic or in Old Norse, um, please don't be shy. Tell Definitely. us. Uh, anyway, Gunnar calls for his troll up, but it's a few minutes before <laughs> she shows up. Yeah. She's not a magic troll. It takes a few to right. get there uh, whenever Gunnar calls her. Uh, and when she does arrive, she's wielding a short sword called Thrum and looking rather pissed. And remember, she's run past several slaughtered trolls on her way in. It's not absolutely clear who she's there to help, but that, I think I know true. who. That's true. That, yeah, that's a good point. No, no, but there is that ambiguity for a moment, right? It's not super clear when she runs in where she stands on this. And honestly, if she's looking for revenge for her dead sister, this is a great time for it. It's a perfect opportunity. I mean, Gunnar is clearly losing this fight. All she really has to do is wait and do nothing. Yeah. Uh, But apparently she's true to her word. She rushes in to help him, and she and Gunnar kill the last troll between them. Yeah, follows a pretty forgiving sort. Although uh, this is also kind of a pattern. Gunnar gets away with killing women's siblings surprisingly easily. (laughs) But this <laughs> time, I thought you were going for. <laughs> he's been badly beaten up in the battle. Uh, Fala looks him over and says, "Hmm, now I want you to come with me." 
Oh, uh, well, that's very nice, but uh, I have to get up in the morning. I've got a big day of seal hunting tomorrow. No, no, he says nothing like that. No, he doesn't. Of course he doesn't. Uh, but remember, he did beg off of going to meet her father last time they spoke to each other. Well, yeah, but he just killed Fala's sister at that point. Now well, <laughs> they've got a little relationship right, so, going. Sure. So we're arguing that the father has probably forgotten all about that a few weeks later. Well, actually... Yes, he does seem to have forgotten because it <laughs> yeah. never really comes up. Or else it's just an example of somewhat scattershot characterization and plotting in this saga. Either way. Yeah, either one. Uh, well, things actually do go pretty well at Fala's cave. Uh, Gunnar spends a night resting after the battle. Then Fala brings him to meet her father and mother. And mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, they're, they're very welcoming uh, to a guy who's supposed to have beheaded one of their daughters. Yes, now Skraum, the father, asks... Hmm. How old are you, Gunnar? Uh, I am twelve years old. Well, you're a promising man at that. You're welcome to stay with us, and that's my daughter's wish, too. Hmm. She wants okay. that booty. Oh no. Oh dear. Uh, <laughs> and when Gunnar, she's uh, done. <laughs> I'll take a Gunnar chunk. ignores everything that you've just said uh, and spends a fair chunk of the winter with Fala and her parents and then takes his leave without fuss. Uh, Fala gives him a no, gift. No, 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 no. You want to hang on there for a second? What? There's a lot going on here, but yeah. are we just going to ignore that Gunnar just said he was 12 years old? Well, hang on. No, no. We'll get to that in a minute. Uh, we haven't caught him in his lie yet. Uh, Fala gives gifts to Gunnar, including a well-made sword, and they part as friends. It's not clear to me whether that sword is the same sword that she was that's using was earlier. Wondering. That's Thrum, right? Um, that's yeah. a named sword, and you would think that they named it for a reason. But this sword is never named again. Uh, it's just the sword that he got from Fala. It's kind of indirectly called Fala's gift. Yeah. Uh, but it's not clear as whether it's the same sword or not. I'm choosing to assume that it's not because it's never called Thrum again, but it mm-hmm. might be. Uh, anyway, Gunnar, with the sword, returns to his men, and at the end of winter, they sail to Bard's Land in Norway. So, if you were waiting for a sequel to the fight with the trolls, uh, this isn't it. Yeah. Um, I, I One thing I love about this is that he stays with her for so long, mm-hmm. and clearly must have some kind of relationship with her, right? I, that seems to be the implication, right? Usually yeah. that's implied when a guy stays with trolls or giants for a long time. Yeah, um, and if we go back to Finboy's saga, you know, it's another callback exactly. to that same idea. The yeah. only thing we're missing yeah. here is he doesn't uh, stand by the door and say, if you have a son, send it right. my way. Right. Yeah. Or, um, you know, tell the saga, right, with uh, Bowie and Judison. Oh, uh, who that's actually who staying. I'm thinking of. That's what I'm thinking uh, of. It's Bowie. Yeah. Uh, who ends up staying for the winter, yeah. That's the one. It wasn't, uh, yeah, it wasn't uh, right, Finboy. Right. Um, all right, so... Moving forward, nothing much happens for a while, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, a few months yeah. pass with Helgi and Gunnar staying with Bard before Bard is called to visit the court of Earl Haukon Sigurdsson for a feast. Now, Gunnar decides to go along, even though Bard tells him that he thinks it's probably a bad idea. Gunnar keeps doing this. I, I want to point out, nobody ever actually wants this guy along for anything. Yeah. He just keeps ignoring them and putting his boots on. Yeah. And, you know, it's at this moment that I'm, I, I find myself feeling like we're in yet another Thouter or we're in another um, yeah. saga, like Aun Bowbender saga, for example. 
um, has a right. similar kind of thing where you got this brother who's invited and tells his uh-huh. oafish younger brother, don't come. You're going to embarrass everybody. Right. I think, you know, as we said last time, there, there are a lot of elements of this saga that owe more to the, uh, the legendary sagas than to the family sagas. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So uh, Barth and Gunnar and 13 other men ride to the feast, and it quickly becomes clear that Barth is well thought of at Earl Hawkins' mm-hmm. court. Um, that Barth is well thought of at Earl Hawkins' court. He gains mm-hmm. a seat near the Earl while the rest of his crew is seated closer to the door. But the Earl inquires about the other men. And Barth brings Gunnar over to meet Hauken. And uh, who are you? I'm called Gunnar. Ah, and how old are you, Gunnar? Well, I am 18 years old. Mm. You seem a great man. And are there many men like you in Iceland? Well, in fact, uh, there are many men greater than me there. And so the Earl has nothing more to say to him. Yeah. Um, Gunnar thinks this was a great success, of course, but Barth knows the Earl. And he knows that the conversation didn't go well at all. He says, I don't encourage you to stay here, because the Earl will certainly try to have you killed. That's not true. In fact, I'll be staying with the Earl for the winter on his invitation. Now, we may have mentioned that Gunnar has a reputation for being a little slow on the uptake. And here's a good example. I mean, all right, but just how hard of thinking is he? Because he just told the Earl that he's 18. He did, yes. And a few months ago, as you pointed out, he told Scrawn the Troll that he was 12. Oh, that is also correct, yes. Okay, so we have a problem here, right? We have a discrepancy. So if we want to win a no prize, we have to make sense of this. Um, We have... Three options, I think. Uh, one is that Gunnar is playing some kind of clever game with either Scrum or Earl Haukun by lying about his age. Uh, two, uh, that Gunnar is honestly confused about how old he is and just answers <laughs> with a random number every time he's asked. Uh, or three, that this is a textual transmission problem. Place your bets. I really like number two. Um <laughs> we keep running into this problem with this saga, actually. Yeah. Last episode, it was the sudden reveal of the relationship between Gunnar and Helga, Thorgrim's daughter. Uh, this yeah. time, we we can probably eliminate the idea that Gunnar doesn't know how old he is. So, Well, I mean, just how long did he sit and spend staring into the fire at his parents' house? I mean, probably not long enough to forget what year it is. Come on. Yeah, six times. Yeah, probably not. Um, I, look, I'm willing to give the saga the benefit of the doubt here. Uh, there are real reasons why Gunnar might lie about his age, particularly to the trolls. Uh, he might want to understate his age to make his deeds the more impressive, or he might be trying to avoid an expectation that he'll marry Fala. Uh, if I'm looking to make sense of this thing in text, that one's my bet. It would be appropriate for Fala's father to initiate the discussion of a possible betrothal, right? Yes, yeah. That's his position. And learning that Gunnar's 12 could conceivably spike his guns. Uh, again, that's not necessarily what's happening. It's my best shot at explaining this otherwise very strange development. Hmm. Uh, which way are you leaning? So your your theory is that Fala's father realizes that the boy is 12, too young for his daughter, and right. pumps the brakes. Right. That's interesting. And so we're, we're operating on the assumption that trolls aren't great at figuring out how old people are. Uh-huh. So... Yeah, I, I think that's really interesting. Um, I think that's giving the text a little too much credit. I said, 
<laughs> I'm, tr- I'm trying to give the saga the benefit of the doubt here. Yeah, I, I appreciate you doing that. I think that would be really clever if I saw more examples of that kind of cleverness <laughs> in the saga. What I have uh, seen is a saga that is um, kind of piecemeal in terms of its uh, structuring uh-huh. and in terms of its consistency. Um, this is a this this moment to me is a uh, a Starbucks cup um, sitting in a scene of Game of Thrones kind of thing. It's just uh, they they kind of wow, forgot. What a, what a timely reference in 2022, Andy. Well, it, it's way to strike while the iron's hot. Any any Macarena references you want to kick in? <laughs> hey, Macarena. <laughs> no, I, I I take your point though. I mean, it's, you're probably right. So um, even if we decide that Gunnar is playing a clever game here with the age question, which is possible. Which, um, which is possible, but not likely. We're, but we're still left with him choosing to stay with Earl Hauken, a man who he's now been warned is probably going to try to kill him. Yeah, that's about right. Uh, but his brother Helgi will be staying with him, so at least he's got someone to watch his back. Well, he's going to need it. Part 6. The first rule of Earl Hawkins' Fight Club. So, it isn't long before Earl Hawken makes his move. He calls the brothers to him and asks, Hmm, you must enjoy tests of strength, Gunnar, no? Oh, that is, that is not so. <laughs> this guy's a coal biter all the way through, isn't he? He just, he just doesn't want to do anything. Well, ah. Uh, Nevertheless, I'd like to see you take part in one. Well, okay. I would prefer to wrestle, so long as it's against a human. What a funny thing to say. Isn't that? It's very specific. Right? I would. I will go ahead and wrestle. That's my choice. Right. But right. only if it's against a human. Right. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, that would be an odd specification if this weren't a saga. Yeah, uh, people wrestle with all kinds of things in these stories: right? bulls, bears, trolls, guys named Svart, you name it. And obviously, this is being set up for something weird to walk into the match against Gunnar. Definitely, I think this is actually decent writing to have him say that because it does build a bit of suspense. <laughs> little, little foreshadowing, like what exactly is going to walk into this ring with him? Yeah, maybe something weirder than a sentient bear or a family of trolls. I mean, mm-hmm. Gunnar's already faced some weird stuff. I think he can handle it. It's fair. Uh, so, do we think that Gunnar knows yet that the Earl is trying to kill him? Well, I mean, he must be getting suspicious because he goes and visits Bard for advice. And Bard can't resist a bit of, I told you sowing. I knew early on that the Earl wants you dead, Gunnar. Well, um, this is the way it'll be. I am to wrestle in two weeks' time. All right. Well, if you must, then here is a doublet. You shall wear it when you wrestle. I just love that he gives him a doublet. I mean, here's your wrestling uniform. He he, <laughs> so he he gives him the face paint. He throws some glitter on his pecs, and boom, I mean, he's ready to go. Look, most most wrestlers only get a singlet. He's getting like twice as much. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Well, uh, <laughs> having prepared the ultimate warrior, Barth plans to be mm-hmm. in the crowd with his own men when Gunnar's match occurs. Uh, if he's going to be there with his own men, John, you know what that means. He's expecting trouble. Well, he knows his Earl. Yes. Uh, so fast forward two weeks to the wrestling match, which the saga does, by the way. We're not skipping over anything. Uh, a large crowd gathers for the entertainment of seeing the match. Earl Hauken has himself carried the event on a throne. Mm-hmm. 
which is you know not subtle by the author. Halkin yes. is being set up as a man who's a bit of an egomaniac and more than a little arrogant. Yes, which, you know, isn't really at odds with his characterization elsewhere. He's no. usually a clever but sneaky figure who likes to get his way by any means necessary. Well, I mean, in this case, his what he wants is to kill Gunnar. Uh, yes. Apparently because of a personal objection of some kind, because they've barely spoken and didn't say anything particularly regrettable at that time. No, I mean, he basically asked him how old he is, and right. that was the conversation. But uh, well, and, and whether he's the best man in Iceland. Oh, that's right, the best man in Iceland. Yeah. But so he I, said, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming not. that that was somehow offensive. He said, I'm not, there's a lot of better men. Maybe Hauken doesn't like hearing about how great the men of Iceland are, I don't know. I mean, I think that's the implication, is that yeah. it's it's bragging that the men of Iceland are much better than the Norwegians. Right, right. Which all true Icelanders know anyway. I mean, the thing is that it feels like they're falling into another stock motif, right? The mm-hmm. the Thouter motif of a clever and quick-tongued Icelander yeah. butting heads with a powerful Norwegian ruler. Yeah, I, I'd agree with that. But I don't know whether Gunnar's all that clever. The author might be. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, John, uh, something we haven't discussed. What do you uh, right. What do you think of his poetry so far? Gunnar's? Yeah. Uh, well, that's easy. I think it's missing. <laughs> Exactly. I was thinking about this after we recorded the last episode yep. uh, and I was editing and I didn't have to come up. I didn't have to find any music or edit the uh, the, the yeah. poems at all. There's not a single verse in this saga, not one credited to Gunnar or Helgi or anyone else. Uh-huh. Gunnar's not exactly being set up as a man with a quick wit. Fair. No, that's fair. Um, I mean, there's a reason why I've given him the voice that I've given him. Right. I mean, this is this is a guy who's being presented as kind of a straightforward not super complicated thinking guy. Um, yeah. We can also get into a whole thing about what the lack of verses links to link to the saga might say about its historical veracity. Yeah. Um, right. I mean, even in the eyes of a contemporary audience, right. We could, we could wonder about that, but we don't need to do that right now. Yeah, that's fair. I think the idea of what, how this appeals to a contemporary audience is interesting actually, but uh, mm-hmm. we don't have to talk about that right now. Uh, right. There is a wrestling match to get to and I want to hear that bell. That's right. It's time for more wrestling. Uh, Gunnar arrives at the match, but when he sees the Earl's chosen champion, he steps back out of the clearing. <laughs> it's a Blaumather, uh, a blue man or black man being restrained by several other men. Mm. And this Blaumather has been used by Earl Hauken before and is known to have killed several good warriors. Now, stand up, stand up, Gunnar, and wrestle with that lad who's been brought here before you. I'm not supposed to wrestle with a troll. Well, you're going to wrestle that one. (laughs) Uh, And Gunnar squares up, but he keeps his shirt on, as Bard had told him. Are you talking about the doublet? He's keeping his doublet on? Yeah, yeah. So I was was going for a pune or play on words, right? He's he's keeping calm. He's keeping his shirt on. I see. Uh, (laughs) I see. Because I didn't remember Bard saying, keep this on. He just said, put this on. Right, right. You know, he said, wear it when you wrestle. That's true. It would uh, defeat the purpose if he said, here's right. this doublet, put it on. And then as soon as the, the match starts, he takes it off. Right. Uh, I think the implication is that this, obviously this doublet has some kind of property, some kind of magical property. Isn't Although it? I want to say in advance, it never actually comes up that this doublet does a damn thing. He just. No, I don't. I never got that impression. Fight. I just um, think he's given him his wrestling uniform because he likes him, him the his, pageantry. Right. It's all about right. the pageantry. He's read his uh, Roland Barthes' uh, The World of Wrestling. 
Right. The the big man from Horgsland written on the back of his uh, right. doublet. And what you gonna do <laughs> when Gunnar Mania runs wild on you? That's right. Um, all right. So the Blaumather is released. The fight begins. Uh, and immediately it charges at Gunnar at full yeah, speed. Yeah, like a crazy uh, bull. Yeah. Gunnar's almost immediately on the defensive and he's being pulled nearly off his feet as the Blaumather grabs him and drags him around the clearing. But... Gunnar's agility saves him. He's able to stay upright as he's shoved back over and over. After a few minutes, Gunnar spots a big, sharp stone in the clearing, uh-huh. which the Blaumother is clearly driving him toward. Yeah, so both wrestlers want to drive the other one onto this rock. Yeah, uh, but Gunnar is being pushed backward toward it. Uh, he waits until his heels touch the stone and then leaps backward, pulling the Blaumother forward and slamming him down onto the sharp edge of the stone. Mm-hmm. The impact is enough to split the Blaumother's torso, and he dies instantly. Yes, the author actually says that the Blaumother is split in half on the rock. I don't really know how that would work, honestly. But either way, it's pretty final. <laughs> well, okay. But here we are again. This is yeah. yet another familiar story. Mm-hmm. Outmatched hero manages to defeat a stronger opponent using this move of leaping backward over an obstacle and using it to break the other man's body. We've seen it. Right. Right. We've seen this a few times, right? Uh, Finboy the Mighty had this same match against another Blaumother in his saga. Mm-hmm. And that one, by the way, was also in a match set up by Earl Hauken Sigurdsson That's to right. try to kill a saga hero. Right. So Hauken has a room somewhere where he just keeps his Blaumann uh, ready to try to kill Icelanders who annoy him. Is that what's he going does on? seem to? Yeah, sort of an esoteric hobby, but to each their own. <laughs> right. uh, hey, I want to talk about that whole Blau Mother concept. It's been a while yeah. since we last addressed that. I, I would, I think we absolutely need to address that. Uh, mm-hmm. But can we save it for a little later? Um, I, okay, sure. But I'm, I'm sticking it in the judgment section if we don't get to it now because I think it's, it makes sense there as well. Yeah, that's that's fine. Actually, I think it actually would fit in the judgment section pretty well. So. Yeah. Good. Yeah. So, yeah, we'll save it for them. We're not skipping it. We're just going to cover it later. Yeah. So, uh, Hauken is seriously annoyed by the death of his champion, and he commands his men to grab Gunnar. But Barth's men surround Gunnar and block their way. And then Barth, Gunnar, Helgi, and their crew all back out of the clearing. Right. So, Hauken suffered a double embarrassment here. He's lost his Blaumother, and he was publicly thwarted by one of his own supporters. Yeah. There's not much he can do about it, though, because Barth no. brings the brothers home with him, and they spend the winter safely there. Right. Well, I suppose the Earl still has a few Blaumen in his, you know, in his garage somewhere. It's a <laughs> consolation, at least. Maybe, maybe. But he's certainly going to be keeping a lookout for any chance to get Gunnar in the future. Well, uh, in that case, it's fortunate that Helgi and Gunnar hit on the idea of sailing abroad in the spring. Yeah. Uh, Barth offers them three ships and crews for the summer. Uh, presumably in exchange for a share of the loot. And they sail away with a promise to return in the autumn. Isn't that lovely? You know, it, it strikes mm-hmm. me that uh, Earl Hauken is rather powerless if he can't muster the forces to go and attack Barth's uh, house. I mean, he's... But you have to always... Right. I mean, a good a good leader, a good earl or uh, king, always has to make that calculation of, you know, the cost to uh, uh, to attack one of your own followers, especially one of your own fairly That's powerful true. and rich followers, not only because of what it'll cost militarily to defeat them, but also what it'll cost uh, in terms of PR. 
Right. Uh, every man who's there helping you attack this guy has to wonder what it would take to get him on the on the Earl's bad side. Right? Mm. And what would happen if he were to do something that the Earl didn't like? I mean, it's, Fair uh, enough. There's, there's a lot of social cost to deciding to do something like that to one of your own prominent followers. That's true. Uh, not to mention the fact that uh, that Gunnar clearly won the wrestling match. He doesn't have actual cause. He's the one right. that set up the wrestling match. So just because Gunnar won doesn't mean that the, the Earl has right to kill him. Right. Yeah, you didn't die the way I wanted you to is not really a, a justifiable <laughs> yeah. argument. Yeah, exactly. Well, the good news is that Gunnar and Helgi... Uh, are sailing away, and they turn out to be pretty sail competent. Away, sail away, You just yeah. can't resist, can you? Nope. <laughs> no. They decide to spend the summer raiding all over the place, and they have one success after another. And by mm-hmm. late summer, they've accumulated a significant stockpile of wealth and have earned a reputation in the north. Good for them. See, I like that your qualifier is pretty competent sailors. Right? Yeah. They don't have to be great Viking masters of the sea, just not terrible. Well, I mean, the Sworn Brothers in our last saga really lowered the bar on sailing prowess. So I thought, you know, all they have to do is be competent. We're not we're not done kicking those two around yet, are we? <laughs> well, let's not let's not crown these two just yet. Because uh, late in the raiding season, they anchor near a cluster of islands. And they fail to set a watch because, and I want to emphasize this, they're all too drunk and tired. <laughs> Again, I said pretty competent. Pretty yeah. competent. Not competent, <laughs> but pretty competent. Yeah, right. More competent than the Sworn Brothers. Sometimes uh, so, they get drunk, you know? I mean, who doesn't? It's uh, But drunk sailing, Andy, it's unforgivable. It's dangerous. Uh, that's right. Uh, so while the rest of the ship's crews are sunk into their booze-clouded sleep, uh, Gunnar eventually rouses himself and goes ashore to have a look around. On the far side of the island, he finds a fleet of 13 ships anchored. Uh, with a large landing party gathered in tents and some sort of defensive wall built around the whole thing. Wow. Gunnar lurks around in the shadows for a bit, trying to gain information. Now, Gunnar's not really proficient in stealth. Um, no, he is not. And he is spotted almost immediately. But uh, the men just assume he's a native of the island, and apart from calling him uh, an idiot and a fool for trying to suffocate himself standing in the path of the fire smoke, they don't really bother him. Right. And actually, I like this moment because it is, in some ways, it's a return to that Colebiter thing. Yeah. Right. It's a callback to that, that they think he's an idiot who sits around in front of the fire. Uh, so we're getting a little hint of that. But now we know that Gunnar is worth much more than that. Mm-hmm. But somehow, in this moment, playing a clueless dope isn't too hard for Gunnar. <laughs> and it's not long before he learns that the ships are commanded by two brothers named Svart and Yokel. Svart and Yokel. Those are the names. So the saga is already recycling names because, I mean, we've already seen that. (laughs) We've seen these names. Um, There there are times, John, when I marvel at the audacity of saga writers. What, just because of the names, the reuse? Yeah, among other things. I mean, workshop this thing a little bit, guys. Come on. (laughs) Didn't somebody spot that? You've got other names. (laughs) There are a lot of other names, guys. Come on. Uh, Like seven of them. Yeah, in this case, we had a man named Yokel with a servant named Svart in the first part of the saga. It was just a few chapters ago. Yep. Now yeah. we're in a new land, but the names haven't changed at all. Right, and to be clear, there's absolutely no link to another pair of men. Also, they're dead. Well, we don't know that Svart's dead. True, good point. His spine he's is walking. Ar- he's walking around gingerly with a hemorrhoid pillow for that's the rest right, of his life. That's right, that's uh, right. But 
their names live on forever. And here they are again. Indeed. Indeed. Uh, so armed with this information, Gunnar heads back to his men, wakes them, has them unload all the ship's valuables onto land and replace them with rocks mm-hmm. for ballast, but probably also to make the ship sit low in the water as though they were full of treasure. Now, he's setting up to make them look like exactly what they are, a successful raiding party finishing a profitable summer. Yeah. But it's worth asking why. He knows the enemy's there and that they outnumber his group more than four to one. So why not just keep your riches on board and sail off into the horizon? Mm, Well, okay. One reason might be that he doesn't like the look of these guys, right? And so he, he wants a fight, even at long odds. Yeah. Yeah. There, there's also the fact that Gunnar's men are all drunk. True. Trying to get them up before the crack of dawn, forcing them into hard labor and the oars. That would be a recipe for disaster. But I, I also suggest I mean, it's worth trying. It's it's a recipe for lots of burly men horking off the side of the ship <laughs> is what it is. Sailing away from a fight through a sea slick with the vomit of your men. <laughs> <laughs> all right. It's not a great look for a would-be Viking, but maybe it would work for Jason well, and the Argonauts. Really? Really smooths out the seas, though. That's right. <laughs> well, instead of fleeing in a churn of seawater and lost lunches, they're going to sail hungover into the bay where Yokel and Svart's ships are lined up. Yeah, and Yokel and Svart are understandably confident about this situation. Svart calls out, We want to offer you two choices. The first choice Yeehaw! is to get off your ships here. You just turned me even deeper. You, 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 you turned it and <laughs> tweaked it up a bit. Right. The first choice is to get off your ships here. The second is to fight us all, if you dare. <laughs> Rootin' tootin'. <laughs> uh, now, obviously, this is what Gunnar and Helgi were planning anyway. So Gunnar says, uh, we'll, we'll choose that second one. <laughs> oh, good. That's the one we wanted, too. <laughs> <laughs> That's a quote. <laughs> it is, yeah. And both sides begin leaping across the ships at each other. And in seconds, there's just complete chaos. Right. Now, we're told that there are great losses on both sides, but more on the other side, which is fair. They have more men to lose. Yeah. Uh, men are falling into the sea, being hacked apart on ships, grappling to save their lives. And our author o- offers almost no description of the fight at it's all. Terrible. Well, not, it's not no description. We're told that Gunnar and Helgi board this lead ship and fight mm-hmm. their way to the mast, killing several men along the way. Gunnar, in particular, is fighting well using the sword that Fala gave him. And eventually, the two of them reach, reach the midship, where they confront the brothers, Jokul and Svart. Right. Now, at this point, they square off. Uh, Gunnar facing Jokul and Helgi attacking Svart. Jokul has this huge sword that he's swinging in both hands. And he brings it around at full force, nearly catching Gunnar and lopping him in half. Yeah. But Gunnar manages to deflect the blade, which instead hacks into the ship's mast so deeply that both edges are buried in the wood. Mm-hmm. Yokel tries to pull the blade free, but I'm gonna I'm gonna let the saga tell this part. As Yokel leaned forward, Gunnar struck at him with his sword. It cut whatever there was to cut, chopping <laughs> off his arm and down his side, and then cutting through his hip to chop off the leg. Yokel fell down dead on the spot. Well, I mean, you would after that, wouldn't you? <laughs> it's a it's a pretty <laughs> thorough job. Now, meanwhile, Helgi and Svart are fighting, and Helgi's already taken a wound and is looking rather worn out. Gunnar tells him to tag him in, but Helgi refuses any help. But you can lend me that sword of yours instead. See, he's grown up now. Mm-hmm. There you so go. So there's, there's, 
Yes. So there's a maneuver where Gunnar throws his sword and Helgi somehow catches it and switches weapons while still in active combat. Pretty impressive. Yeah. Yeah, I like this too. This is some impressive work by Helgi. Yeah. And with Fala's sword, Helgi turns the tables on Svart and deals several wounds. Svart begins to wear down pretty quickly and Helgi finishes the fight with a Mortal Kombat finishing move. Striking a blow on Svart's head so strong that it cuts Svart in half vertically. Oof. And the saga tells us the two parts fell in opposite directions. Oh, very nice. It's a little <laughs> grisly, but impressive. Yes. Uh, I mean, fe- the, fell in opposite directions. That's the best bloodshake end up there. Yeah. Yeah, it has to be on the list. Uh, that's the end of the fight, by the way. Uh, nothing else happens after the two leaders are cut up. No, yeah, everybody just watched the Viking leaders get cut literally to pieces. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the brothers allowed the survivors to leave, but they keep a large amount of the Vikings' wealth for themselves and for their crews, which is good. Right. All in all, it's been a very successful summer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and things continue to go well for the brothers. They return to Bard and spend the winter with him. Bard uh, leaves them to visit Earl Hauken for Yule, and although the Earl welcomes Barth warmly, there's a bit of tension in the air. Finally, the Earl asks Barth, So, are you keeping those brothers at your house? It is true, my lord. You're a bold fellow, Bard, to keep men with you whom you know are my enemies. Oh, it's not like that, my lord. They wish to reconcile themselves to you because they did nothing wrong, of course, you imbecile. <laughs> what was that? What was nothing, that last nothing. Part? I just said they wish to reconcile mm. themselves to you after all mm. the wrong they have done you, obviously. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Indeed. Well, bring them here and perhaps we may be reconciled then. <laughs> That's a good trick. I see what you did. <laughs> that seems rather ominous. I don't know if I would it does a little. That. Yeah, it does a little. Yeah. So far, Hawkins' track record on friendly treatment of Icelanders is a little spotty. Maybe don't Just come bit. to the feast. Right. But remember, we've said before that Hauken isn't a stupid man, at least not in the way he's generally portrayed in Icelandic stories. He's crafty, he's cunning, and occasionally downright villainous, but not stupid. Gunnar and Helgi are potential assets. He's not about to throw that chance away. When the brothers do eventually come to visit, Hauken behaves like a model host, and they're made comfortable for the rest of the winter. In fact, they actually end up becoming part of Hauken's retinue. I feel like you're giving the saga the benefit of the doubt here. Oh, I absolutely am. Because this this is a huge reversal late in the story, right? Yeah. We have just gone from Hauken wanting them dead to being their BFF. Strange. I, I mean, maybe Barr's been putting in some serious hours softening the Earl up while the brothers have been off raiding? Hmm... Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, this requires some willingness to overlook the most likely explanation, which is that the text lost an important link in the narrative chain somewhere. Now, that could be, or perhaps maybe he's impressed with all their ratings so much that so he sees them as valuable commodities. Right, or, they're good earners. Yeah, they're good earners. They bring it in. Uh, but it, it, perhaps also it accurately reflects the work of a writer or a scribe with a rather mediocre grasp of narrative structure. Could be that. Or that. Or that. Yeah. Part seven. Wedding bells and funeral songs. Okay. Adding to the sort of pointless reconciliation with the Earl, the brothers only stay with Hauken for the winter. 
mm-hmm. the following spring. It's just nice to make your way into the into the Earl's good graces, get this right. opportunity, and then be like, see you next year. Right. They just want uh, to be able to check that one off their bucket list. Yeah, exactly. So that's also a pattern in the sagas, right? The guy yeah. earns the notoriety and the mm-hmm. favor of the king, and once he's got it, he usually tries to leave within a year. Right, but usually they don't have to overcome an, an earl who wants to kill them first. Not usually, but sometimes. Right. There was a lot of effort involved in making friends with this guy. That's right. Well, the following spring, they ask for and get permission to return to Iceland. Right. Well, they, they say they're just going home for a visit, but the don't they always? of the saga... Yeah, I know. The conclusion of the saga makes it clear that neither of them ever returns to Norway, or at least not for any length of time. I mean, isn't that – it's an unwritten rule. If you're going to try to leave uh, a, a Norwegian king or nobleman uh, whose service you are in, you always say, I'll be right back. Right. Like just popping home to say right. goodbye to my father or something. Right. I and, mean, you know, I know, the, you know, in this era, it's very easy to be lost at sea or something like that. They don't know whatever happened to you. Yeah. They'll never hear. No one's ever traveling to and from Iceland and Norway. Right. Right. No, eventually just bur- bury a pair of your boots uh, yes. <laughs> somewhere outside Trondheim. Yes. Well, anyway, with the narrative and for uh, Helgi and Gunnar, it's time to get back to Iceland. Yeah. They say their goodbyes to Barth and thank him for his friendship by giving him all the ships they won during their raids, except for the one that they're going to use to return to Iceland. Uh-huh. The trip itself is uneventful, as it always is on the journey home. And they arrive uh, without incident. Right. Not the most exciting part of the story, but there it is. No, exactly. We can um, only report exci- it, folks. We don't write it. <laughs> well, the exciting stuff is all waiting for them on the island, of course. Uh, first of all, they learn that their father is still alive, and he is overjoyed at their return. There's a big reunion, and Hello. Thorbjorn, their father, is rejuvenated by having his son's home safe at last. That's nice. The second, the second piece of news is that Thorgrim the Chieftain has died. Ah. Now, Thorgrim was a big part of the first episode on this saga, but he hasn't come up much in this one. Uh, this is the corrupt Gothi whose sons, Jokel and Grimm, were killed by Gunnar. That's right. Um, Gunnar and Helgi haven't been back to Iceland since those killings. Uh, they didn't know what kind of problems they might be walking into as they came back. But the news of Thorgrim's death removes that last real threat to them. So all is well. Yeah, as we said before, law essentially doesn't enter into this saga. There's no real worry about being outlawed or forced to pay a ruinous fine. The only real concern was the possibility of violent revenge. Yeah. Uh, So now that that's gone, they're they're, they're great. Uh, Mm -hmm. There's an interesting side note about the death, though. Thorgrim, we're told, died of a broken heart over the death of his sons. Now, that was a surprise. Yep. This is not the saga where you'd expect to find a sudden insight into the pathos and tragedy of violent actions, and yet here we are. Yeah, and the the juxtaposition of these two items, right? The joyful reunion of Thorbjorn with his sons, and the news that Thorgrim has died for grief over the loss of his, that Mm -hmm. feels deliberate. Uh, Oh, and uh, there's another thing. Helga Thorgrim's daughter. Helga Thorgrim's daughter, uh, the Mm -hmm. sister... Of Gunnar's murder victims. Yes. Uh, now that their father's dead, too, there's no impediment to their being together. How convenient. Yes. So Gunnar kills all the men of the household, yep. and he gets rewarded with the only surviving heir as his wife. That's about the size of it. Uh-huh. Oh, and since Helga's mother's now in charge of the property and household, she receives the proposal for Helga's hand. And it's at this point that we find out that she knew her daughter and Gunnar we're in love the whole time. Another shocking twist. 
Well, it's uh, to be fair, it's less shocking than the first one. Yeah, but okay. still a surprising addition to the narrative. Yeah, we we've talked about this before. the The world of women that often plays out around the edges of these androcentric narratives. Ooh, right? well I feel said. like we're getting just a little taste of that here. Helga's mother, who by the way isn't even named in the saga, um, she's so far this, out on the edges we don't even know her name. Right, and yet she has this complex dynamic within her family. Right, she's able to assess the loyalties due to her sons and to her daughter. And while we're not privy to her logic, it seems that she sees the two issues as discrete and acts accordingly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Gunnar, the suitor of her daughter, is treated as a separate figure than Gunnar, the enemy of her sons, it seems. Right. I and mean, it's no less rigid a personal code than that of the revenge cycle, uh, or at least it's one that is just as likely to create complexities and nuances that have to be negotiated. But it's very different from the male version, and we almost always see these from the outside. Yeah. Uh, something else to keep in mind is that she knows Gunnar and her sons were enemies, but mm-hmm. she's not necessarily aware that Gunnar killed her sons, is she? That's true. I mean, according to the text, no one knows that specific detail except for Helga. And we're told that she didn't tell anyone. Right. That's absolutely true. Uh, now, and by the way, we're not done yet. Uh, Gunnar and Helga marry. And because she is Thorgrim's only living heir, because Gunnar killed the others, her husband inherits the Gothorth that had been Thorgrim's. <laughs> So Gunnar is now chieftain over the district by virtue of having eliminated all competition. Yep. It's about the most audacious power grab we've seen in the sagas in years. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's again, it's that fruition of the Cinderella story, right? He ends the story as part of the aristocracy after coming from very humble beginnings. And yet it's not ever clear that Gunnar intended any of this to happen. Well, he did intend killing her brothers. That yes, was on yes, purpose. yes. That was, yeah. I mean, pretty overt. Yeah, it is. I know this. But his new position is the direct result of that act, and there's no suggestion he did any of that with this in mind. Right. I mean, look, this saga is frustrating as hell, but there really are some fascinating subplots here that we could try to tease out. I mean, subplots are all very good, but mm-hmm. we still aren't done with the plot plot, if you want to. Plot plot. Maybe finish that plot, up. Plot plot fizz fizz. I know. Yeah. I'm just over here convincing myself that this saga is better than I think it actually is. Don't don't mind me. Well, as long as we've got the wedding bells chiming, we uh, we should also deal with Helgi's marriage. Remember oh, yeah, Helgi, good. the brother, yeah. who yeah, hasn't really ahead. done anything? Yep. Well, the first half of the saga was all about him. And yeah, now he's sort of faded into the he, background. He's way in the background, yeah. But uh, Helgi approaches his brother, who is now the Gothi of the district. And he says that he wants yeah. to marry a woman named Ingebjörg, daughter of Geir of Gerland. John, you want to tell me who Gare of Gareland is? Okay, so once again, this requires that you remember stuff from the last episode. Gare is a wealthy man who keeps a large farm with ten servants. His foreman is named Cole. And Cole is the guy who spotted Helgi and Gunnar when they were hiding out in a cave after they embarrassed the sons of Thorgrim Gothi. That's right. Uh, Gare is mentioned in the very first chapter. Now I remember. Um, And and Gare is the one who brought that information to Thorgrim and his sons, which means that this is another man who tried to have Helgi and Gunnar killed. Interesting. I mean, sure, but that was when they were the enemies of the chieftain's family. Right. Now that that Gunnar is the chieftain, Gare couldn't be more pleased about his only daughter marrying Mm -hmm. Helgi, the chieftain's brother. Gare is a man who likes to please those in power. 
He certainly is, little weasel. Um, yep. <laughs> there is the detail that Gare asks his daughter whether she'll consent to the marriage, and she uh-huh. says that she's just going to follow his advice, which is essentially saying yes, since it's clear he's very much in favor of such yep. a political match. Yep. So they're married the following autumn, and Helgi takes over the family farm at Keldgunup, while Gunnar builds a new building at Horgsland to live with Helga. Now, this sounds like we're wrapping up the saga, and we are, but unfortunately, no one told the saga that, because here, in the final few hundred words of this entire thing, we get an almost completely random coda to the story. Almost random is right, because this is about Thordis, the sorceress, and her brother Orn, who everyone remembers, of course. Right, sure. You all know Thordis and Orn, brother and sister team. Uh, so last episode, we mentioned that there was this guy, Orn, who ran around with the Thorgrimsons and the Grissisons. He he didn't turn up in any of the fights, which suggests he might be slightly smarter than the rest of them. Uh, so really, the only important thing about him was that his sister was Thordis, the sorceress advisor to Thorgrim Gothi. Now, if anyone's forgotten about this plot point, don't worry about it. I read this twice through, and the first time I had to go back and figure out why I was supposed to recognize these two. They come right. out of nowhere. Yeah, it's not well laid out plot-wise, but I mean, honestly, that's hardly a surprise at this point in this saga. I was confused about this too, by the way. Uh, but it's it's actually pretty straightforward. Uh, Gunnar and Helgi are aware that they've still got an enemy in Orn, right? Who, understandably, might harbor a bit of resentment about Gunnar killing all of his friends. Mm-hmm. So, in his usual straightforward manner of thinking, Gunnar decides to go kill Orn as well. Well, you might as well make a clean sweep of it. Yeah, I mean, why tie up loose ends when you can just murder them all? That's right. So there's not much to this, right? Gunnar rides to Orn's house, asks it to come out into the yard, and the two of them fight to the death. Sure, if you want to suck all the fun out of it. All right, so the longer version is that Gunnar challenges Orn to a fight, and the two of them struggle for a while. Both men are wounded, but Gunnar is slowly winning out because he's younger. He's he's only 12 <laughs> and he's in. And well, he's in been another shape. year. He's thirteen now. He's thir- he's a boy of thirteen years. Mm. Now Orn begs for a short rest, which Gunnar grants, and Orn spends a die to regain lost hit points. It, what the hell are you talking? Oh, short rest. Got it. Yes, it's a short rest. Yes, you're very pleased with yourself, aren't you? Yes, yes. He he had a he, he rolled his d8. Um, yes. Yeah. D and D nerd jokes for all. Yay! <laughs> now they renew combat, and the rest has done Orn no good at all. Yeah. He becomes desperate, and Gunnar takes advantage of his wild swinging to land two blows. The first splits most of Orn's mail coat in half. The second splits Orn in half. Ooh, ouch! Now Gunnar, who's pretty badly wounded, pulls himself onto his horse and rides home to Helga, who binds his wounds and helps him recover. Right now. Orn was the last remnant of a gang that had made a lot of people miserable in the district. Yeah. No one is really much upset about the new Gothi going and killing this guy on his own land. Yeah, people are super casual about the law in this saga. They just... Sure. Doesn't yeah. matter. Yeah. Now, the only person around who cares at all is Thordis, who's understandably put out about her brother being split down the middle. Now, <laughs> admittedly, she now has two half-brothers, but it's just not the same. <laughs> You got that one in before I could. I was, I had it locked and loaded. I was ready to go. Sorry. All right, you can get the next one. Uh, now, usually it's not a great idea to annoy the local sorceress, but Gunnar proves to be strangely resistant to Thordis's magics. I wonder if this is something to do with his uh, doublet. 
that he got from Barth. I, I am convinced that doublet is supposed to have some kind of magical protection on it. You think he's still uh, wearing the thing? I mean, why not? It's a nice doublet. Uh, <laughs> Thornis tries to curse Gunnar, but without much success. She does manage to work one ritual against Gunnar so that he can never enjoy peaceful rest, but it's not clear that it's doing much. And that's how things stand for a long time, for at least a year. Yeah, and Gunnar does eventually ride to her house, though, on the advice of his father. Um, and it suggested that he offer Thordis self-judgment in the matter of compensating her brother's death. But when he arrives at Thordis's farm, she sees him coming and goes inside the main building. Right, now Gunnar just walks right in after her, uh, and finds her in the main room. No one in the house says a word of greeting to him, and, you know, Thoris just glares at him. It's a little awkward, but uh, Gunnar says his piece. I've come here because I want to offer you compensation for your brother. As much as you wish to have for yourself. Hmm. Well, that has occurred to you rather late. I would have accepted it a long time ago if it had been offered then. Well, you could accept what I'm offering now. Well, all right. So it shall be. And I'm going to set triple compensation for my brother. Oof. It's a good thing Gunnar has all that wealth from attacking the Viking fleet. Uh, Triple compensation is no joke. But he's able to pay it out to her, and the matter is put to rest. The narrative tells us that they're friends after that, but that seems a little strong. Probably an absence of active hatred or assassination attempts is about all the friendships these two are going to manage. Well, I mean, it's not nothing. Yeah. And that's it. Helgi and Gunnar both live quiet lives after that, and we're told that the two of them have many important descendants. Uh Of course, it doesn't name any of them. No. They might not even exist. But plenty of them. Lots of them. they're out there. Scads of them. Uh, In fact, John, you might be one of them. I, who knows? Hard to say. But uh, I mean, there you I go. I feel pretty confident that I'm not. But <laughs> not unless the uh, the descendants got to Ireland, Italy, or Germany at some point. Well, the uh, the text at this point comes to an end, and that is it. It's an odd one. It really was. I I mean I understand why it's not the center of discussion in saga literature, mm-hmm. but uh, I got to be honest, it's not as bad as I thought it would be. Yeah, I'm going to save my comments on that for the Judgments episode. Aren't you, though? For now, we can rest easy knowing that Gunnar and Helgi are enjoying a well-earned retirement at age uh, 19 or so. If that, uh, well, they're still farmers. And and Gunnar's a chieftain. They both got families to raise. I mean, they're not exactly checking into Shady Acres here. Well, they are retiring from the Viking life. They're retiring Mm -hmm. from a life that's noteworthy enough for a saga. Uh, They're retiring... From this saga. Mm, Indeed. Uh, All right. Uh, I got it. We'll be back soon with our judgment for Gunnar's saga. Mm -hmm. But in the meantime, let us know what you think should be included in the judgments and what you thought of this saga in general. What did we get right? What did we get wrong? Is there a secret stash of scholarship on Gunnar's saga that we missed? (laughs) That's right. Uh, I want to thank Jacob Faust for giving us another great drawing. Here we have uh, a picture of Gunnar leaping out to get at one of the trolls. Um, she's very well drawn. I, I really like that one. <laughs> you can one. reach, yeah. You can reach us at any of our usual online haunts. 
If you're looking for us on Twitter, we are Saga Thing Pod. On Facebook and Instagram, we are Saga Thing Podcast. Or you could visit our WordPress page, uh, sagathingpodcast.wordpress.com. You could also reach out to us on email, where we are sagathingpodcast at gmail.com. And we also now have an unofficial Discord. Uh, you can look at our social media for an invite to that. Oh, yes, Neat. John, we we do. That's exciting. Um, so I, I've been, I popped in there a couple times today. Today was the first day that... Uh, uh, that I participated in it. But uh, yeah, I'll be there every once in a while, checking in and answering questions and getting in on the conversation. So join us. I have the ability to log in on that? You can. Just go to our social media, that is Saga Thing Pod on Twitter or what have you. Click on the link huh. that we're going to be putting that that's kind of rotating around there. Um, I'll post it again soon. And uh, you can get in that way. Or you can write a rambling series of loosely connected paragraphs at a few dozen names of inconsistently characterized people and have it transmitted by a series of indifferent and apathetic intermediaries until it reaches us. It worked for this saga. It can work for you. Jeez, John, you really are, uh, you're salty about this one. Shh, I'm not giving anything away. Oh, you're not? Well, I, there may be a subtle hint here and there. <laughs> All right. Well, that's going to do it for us. We will be back soon to put Goodar Saga on trial. For now, thanks for listening. Bye for now. And if, uh, if none of those ways work for you, you can um, write a letter to us, uh, roll up the scroll real tight, shove it up a Viking, have that Viking insult one of the Thurbjarnasons, and then they can split him in half with their sword and get the letter back. Uh, wh- what's that now? <laughs> <laughs>